0: I'm going to say a quick word of prayer for us, and then we'll begin. Father God, would you bless uh, your word? Uh, Would my heart and mind and lips speak what you want? And would you be glorified? In Jesus' name, amen. I imagine some of you have been spending time with your family, uh, it's the summer, and for some reason during the holidays, that's usually where we end up, either at our in-laws or maybe one of our closer, more direct uh, relatives' households, so for Memorial Day or Mother's Day or maybe for Father's Day coming up. Now, have you ever noticed that each unique family has a special flavor? Now, that's kind of a, a polite way of saying every family is weird in its own unique way. Now, I think this is true because you can, you can sense that whenever you go over to someone's house, you kind of get there, how they do things, how they live, how they function, and then they probably sense that when they come over to your house as well, that you too are a special flavor. Now, I think Pinterest actually gives us a nice survey of kind of these different types of families. I'm going to put up some pictures, hopefully, there we go, of of different ways that people kind of symbolically welcome other people into their home by these sort of frames. You've probably seen them. So this is the first one that describes a family. It says, our family is just one tent away from a full-blown circus. That describes maybe some of your families a little rowdy, a little wild, but fun all the time. Now, this is a kind of a different type of wild for this family. in our family, we don't hide crazy. we put it on the porch and we give it a cocktail. All right, they're a little bit more straightforward about it. This one i 'm sure relates to a few of you. Uh, in this house, we do camo, we lock and load, we drag, we bag, we respect our rifles, we get the lead out, we aim for the game, we hunt. All right, there you go. That kind of describes my family in Colorado. This, this, this last one, I think, more describes who I am and Monica are at our house today. In this house, we believe, this is kind of hard to read, but I'm going to read it for you. In this house, we believe in magic. We have epic adventures Once upon a time in galaxies far, far away, we do wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey stuff while going where no man has gone before. We know the answer to everything is 42, and the odds are ever in our favor. We do cosplay and passion, and we aim to misbehave, and we don't care what others think, because in this house, we do geek. There you go. All right. So you can see this survey of houses. I know this is describing a few of you. And maybe there's one that I didn't put up that would describe you better. You can go on Pinterest and surf them to your heart's content. But today we're talking about not just our individual families, but two families. Two families that all of us fit into and that are introduced in the story of the Bible, in the very first story of the Bible, the book of Genesis. And these two families begin in Genesis chapter 3 in a verse that we reviewed a couple weeks ago called the Proto-Evangelion. The Proto-Evangelion. It's Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Now, those of you who were paying special attention two weeks ago know that I spelled it differently that time, proto Evangelium. There's a couple different ways you can spell it. This way is the most Greek way that I prefer. But Genesis chapter 3, verse 15 is called the Proto-Evangelion because it means first gospel. Proto-First-Evangelion, like evangelism, good news. And it's the first good news to fallen people because people have just blown it. We've just eaten from the tree. We've just rejected God. We've just said, we're better than you, God. We're going to trust ourselves. And God, as he's cursing Adam and Eve and the serpent, he actually gives us good news. And this is spoken from God to the serpent. He says, and I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. So here we read about the offspring of the serpent and the offspring of Eve. Two families from the very beginning of the story. The first family is the spiritual offspring of the serpent. And they, in our story, are the descendants of Cain. We read that in the first chapter, in chapter 4. The second family is the spiritual offspring of Eve, and they are the descendants of a man named Seth. And we read that in the second chapter. They were the ones that lived a really, really long time. So we're going to first look at Cain's family and what we can learn from him and his family. So Cain's family is the offspring of the serpent. And the, the family of Cain is exemplified. So the best example of someone in that family line who's offspring of the serpent is a man named Lamech. Lamech. Now, Lamech, he has these kind of three aspects that we see come out in the story. He is someone who puts his own needs first. Now if you've read the story of Genesis, you know that in the beginning God created male and female and uh, gave them to each other to be husband and wife. That's how God intended it. He didn't intend for men to take multiple wives. And Lamech was the very first man to take multiple wives as far as we know in the record of Scripture. And this pattern, when, when men do this, even when they're godly men like Abraham, Jacob, Solomon, David, when, when men do this in the story of the Bible, they hurt Others, they hurt their spouses, their, their wives never get along. It doesn't work out well because Lamech is putting his needs first, not the needs of his wife. The second, Lamech, Lamech experiences in his life success and beauty. Just because you're an offspring of the serpent, serpent was the devil, the, the figure of Satan in the, in the beginning of the Bible. Just because you belong to him doesn't mean that you're going to fail or that life will be a bummer. His first son, Jabal, invents uh, living in tents and raising livestock. Now, you might remember, for those that are really keen, that Abel actually was a shepherd of, of flocks. Well, those flocks were much smaller than the livestock, the kind of big herds that uh, Jabal was responsible for, kind of inventing that style of agriculture. His second son, Jubal, he pretty much invented the arts. He invented stringed instruments, windpipes, he invented that sort of music. His third son, Tubal Cain, is named after Cain, the, the man who committed the first murder, and he creates metallurgy, so tools, and probably tools used for violence, weapons. So here we see Lamech experiencing a great deal of success in his, his progeny, his family. They're, they're all a success. He doesn't Bad things don't happen to him just because he rejects God. And he also has a daughter. She's almost an afterthought, but her, her name is Nema. And her name means pleasant, graceful, gorgeous. Lamech seemed to have it all. And thirdly... He doesn't need anyone, especially God. Now, when Cain committed the first murder, he cried out to God for protection, for mercy. God, have mercy on me. Don't send me out. I need you. I need you. Lamech says, God, I don't need God's protection. I can can commit 70 70 times more murders, more violence than Cain, and I will be just fine. He is rejecting God. So the offspring of the serpent, they... Reject God. They can experience good things, success, and beauty, and they put their own needs first. Now, I want you to imagine a situation. Maybe some of you have jobs and you've worked with coworkers, and occasionally, maybe a, a coworker will say something bad about you. Now, imagine a situation where a coworker begins to badmouth you and you don't know why. They're criticizing you, your work, who you are as a person, and, and inside you feel very hurt, you wonder, why is this happening? Well, how would a Lamech respond? Well, he would put his own needs first. He would get angry. Well, if that person has done violence to me, then I will do violence to them and their reputation. I will hurt them. See, a Lamech is willing to do anything in the workplace to achieve success, to put his or her needs above others. Lamech's take full control into their own hands, and they don't give it to God. They don't trust God with the situations that he has entrusted them with. Does this describe you? Describes me sometimes. It's how I respond sometimes. See, the truth is, is that we're all born into the line of the serpent. We're all born into the line of Cain. We're all born as Lamech's. We're born into sin. We're born into disobedience to God, that this is our natural slant to hurt others and want to put ourselves first. It doesn't matter if you're born in a Christian household. That doesn't change it. We're all born this way, and so we need a new family. There's good news. There is a new family, and God tells us about this new family, and it begins with Seth. See, Seth's family is the offspring of Eve. And ultimately, Seth's family is the family of God. Now, Seth's family are the new offspring of Eve. Now, I want to show you something. Hopefully, you'll see it. You can see it on the screen and you can look at it later. But when Cain was born, Eve says something. She says, I have brought forth a man. That's kind of an interesting way to, you know, I don't know what you said when you gave birth to your first child, but was it this? I gave birth to a man? I don't know. But Eve says something different when she gives birth to Seth. She says, God has granted me another child. Oh, it's different. Now, this text doesn't really bring it out, but the word child is the word seed. It's the, it's the word offspring. The ESV, we use the NIV, but the ESV says it this way God has appointed for me another offspring. And I like that the ESV uses the word appointed. Because that's what Seth's name means. It means appointed one. That God has appointed that through the line of Seth, there will be the offspring of Eve. That someone in that line will finally one day be the one to crush the serpent, to defeat sin, to defeat evil, to defeat death. Notice that the the family of Seth, one of the first things they do is that they call upon the name of the Lord. At the very last verse in chapter 4, it says, at that time, people began to call on the name of the Lord. See, the family of God realizes their, their need for God. They don't say, I can do it my way, but I don't need any help. They trust in God. And the name of the Lord here is the name Yahweh. And we see that all throughout the Old Testament as the name God's people used to address him, Yahweh. And so when we, when we sing the song Yahweh or say that in the, in the music, we're, we're repeating a name that they would have repeated. See, Lamechs, they get angry. They turn away from God. They say, I don't need you, God. But, but the, the line of Seth, like a toddler, they, they lift up their hands and say, I need you. I need you as a parent. I need someone to love me. And what is the result of their trust? How does God reward those who call on him? I, I skipped a few slides here. We're going to keep going. God gives the offspring of Eve eternal life, as a, as a uh, long life as a sign of eternal life. Now, if we look at the genealogy in chapter 5, it's pretty interesting because it, it covers many, many hundreds of years, and it seems as if everyone is living for a really long time. Why is that? Why doesn't that occur today? Well, I don't think that this this genealogy is making some sort of a scientific uh, claim about the age of the earth or mathematical claim about how long people lived before the flood. I don't think that's what it's trying to make at all. I think it's trying to make a theological point, a point about God. And I say this because this genealogy is much more representative than it is comprehensive. In other words, it doesn't necessarily have to include every single generation. We see actually other places in the Bible, specifically in Matthew chapter 1, where uh, a genealogy is given and it says, uh, this person is the son of this person. And if you look elsewhere in the Bible, it's actually skipping generations. So this doesn't necessarily have to be uh, uh, just one one person after the other. There could be other ones, but it's more like, when you're driving and you're going on a road trip and uh, you see like the big green signs that give you like the distance to the next city, it's more like that than it is the, the mile markers where it's telling you every single person along, along the roadway, along the timeline, along the, the tree. Uh, so let's keep looking at this uh, and that God is giving them eternal, he's giving them long life as a sign of eternal life. In, in, in Genesis chapter 6, it also says uh, that God limited, so after this long genealogy of people living all this time, it says that God limited the lifespans to about 120 years. So does that mean that everyone lived that long? I don't think so. I think it's referring specifically to those that knew God, that walked with God. I say this because Moses is the author of the book of Genesis. And he died at exactly 120 years old. And he was someone who walked with God, who spoke with God face to face. And he would have lived just as long as these other men that lived hundreds and hundreds of years if God had not uh, kind of appointed an end for his life. So the point that I'm making here is that not everyone who, before the flood, lived for hundreds and hundreds of years. And you can disagree if you kind of have a different perspective on it. That's okay. But it's only the line of Seth, the line of the offspring of Eve, who, through one day, we will get a Savior, who will come and and give all people eternal life. It's kind of telling us that, hey, something's coming way down our family tree that's going to produce eternal life for anyone that will put their faith in that person who will trust that person uh, i didn't know uh, either of my grandfathers but i did know some of my grandmothers and they lived a long long time my aunt mildred lived to be 102 my grandmother lived to 91 and then some of my great and great great grandmothers lived to 99 and 98 It's always kind of cool when we have a relative that lived a really long time we always speak with reverence of them don't we the bible talks about long life being a gift of god god promises not just long life to those who trust in him he doesn't promise long life in this life but he 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 promises eternal life he promises a life that will go on and on forever with god Life, long life, is a blessing from God. So the offspring of Eve are given long life as a sign of eternal life. Now there's something we need to note about this passage. I believe that all of the people in here, I think they fall under that header of people that were calling on the name of the Lord. But if if we read later in the book of Genesis, we see that some people, many people, in fact, almost all people were wicked. Genesis chapter 6 says that, that, that the whole land was wicked, and that's why God had to send the flood, to cleanse the land. So I think as we look at this passage, we don't see a list of perfect people. We see a list of wicked people who called on God for help, who recognized their own sin, their own disobedience, their own dirtiness, and that they needed to be forgiven and cleansed by God. This is a mark of Seth's family, the spiritual offspring of Eve. Eve. Now, we're going to look at a character just like Lamech, but on the side of Seth. We're going to look at Enoch. Now, Enoch in verses 21 through 24 of chapter uh, 5, he interrupts the pattern. So the normal pattern is that uh, people live, they have a son, they die, they have a descendant. And Enoch, well, he lives, he has a descendant, but then he doesn't die. This is amazing. God wants us to pay attention to him because he is kind of the counter Lamech. So what does Enoch tell us about what it means to be a part of the family of the offspring of Eve? Well, he tells us that we should call on God. He's one of those people that called on the name of Yahweh. When he encounters need, he looks to God And then he also walks with God. This is kind of the most obvious point from the passage. This means he prioritized God, that he knew God. Now, do you remember the last time that anyone walked with God? It was with Adam and Eve in the garden when God came walking through the garden and he ended up judging Adam and Eve. And what this is kind of giving us a picture of is that Enoch is experiencing a relationship with God that is reminiscent of the Garden of Eden. And that if you have faith in God, if you trust God, you can experience a little bit of this relationship with God as well. Finally, Enoch puts his faith in God. Enoch has faith. And we actually see this in the New Testament, in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 5. It says, by faith, Enoch was taken up so that he would not see death. And he was, uh, he was not found because God took him up, for he obtained the witness that before his being taken up, he was pleasing to God. Enoch called on God. He, he put his faith in God, and he walked with God through life. Now, I want us to go back to that, that, that co-worker situation for a moment. Do you remember the situation where someone's speaking poorly about you? Maybe someone you even know and and like. How would an Enoch respond in that situation? Well, first, an Enoch would call on God and say, God, I don't know why this is happening. Instead of just looking at the circumstances around you, look to God and ask him. Second, an Enoch would attempt to walk through the situation, walk through the circumstances with Jesus, saying, Lord, what do you want me to learn from this? What can others learn from this? How can we grow as followers of God? How can we grow as disciples? How can we be matured through this? Not just how can I lash out, but how can I trust you, God? Teach me your ways in this. And finally, an Enoch would just say, I trust God. No matter what happens, I'm going to trust him. I'm willing to humble myself. I'm willing to go to the other person and say, what's going on? Because this isn't, the situation isn't dependent on me, it's dependent on God. God already knows why this is happening and how it's going to turn out. That's what Enoch's do. That's how Enoch's respond. Don't you want to be an Enoch? Not a Lamech who, 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 who lashes out at others? That's who we want to be. We want to follow in his footsteps. Enoch's walk with God, call on God, put their faith in God, and get rewarded with eternal life. But can I do that? If I'm naturally born a Lamech, how can I ever attempt to act like an Enoch? It's impossible. Because I'm bent. I'm bent towards sin. I'm bent towards being mean to others. I'm bent to always choosing my own way. Well, this kind of leads us to our main point, really the most important point. That we join the family of God through faith in the Son of God. That there is this gateway, there is this way to become a part of the family of Seth, the part of the family of Eve spiritually, the part of the family of God. And it's through faith in Christ Jesus. See, Jesus also comes along and he's not so much our example because he has done it all on our behalf. See, uh, Jesus, he's the true offspring of Eve. He is kind of the, the final root, so if you, if you have uh, the picture of a family tree, Jesus is kind of the sum total of the family tree of Eve. Now, why do I say this? Well, if you read in Luke chapter 3, and I'm going to put it up on the screen, we read that Jesus is related to Seth, to Adam, and to God. Now, it says that Jesus is the son of Joseph, and it tracks that back up through kind of the major historical figures of the Bible, the son of, the son of, the son of. And it says the son of David. It goes back even further. It says the son of uh, Jacob, Isaac, and Abraham. And then finally, it gets here. It says Jesus is the son of Shem. Who's that? That's the son of Noah, the son of Lamech. This is a different Lamech. The son of Methuselah, the son of Enoch, the one we just talked about, the son of Jared, the son of Mahalalel, the son of Kenan, the son of Enosh, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. Here's that final offspring. Here's the good news, the proto-Uangelion being answered, that Jesus is that one who's going to come along and he's going to defeat the serpent. He's the true offspring of Eve and he is going to defeat the serpent. Point number two about Jesus. So how does Jesus defeat the serpent now you guys probably know the story that Jesus died on the cross and he rose again from the grave and he certainly did that in order to defeat the serpent but I want you to notice how he specifically defeats the anger and the violence of people like Lamech Luke no Matthew chapter 18 21 through 22 is the story of Peter coming up to Jesus and saying Jesus when people hurt me how many times am I supposed to forgive them And this is how Jesus answers. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Remember what Lamech said? He said, I'm going to pour out violence upon anyone who hurts me. A man, a child, 77 times. But that's not what Jesus says. Jesus reverses the hatred. Jesus reverses uh, the prejudice and the, the hurt, the violence. And he says, I, forgive, forgive 77 times. See, at the cross, Jesus was forgiving you and me. See, we're the Lamechs. We're, we're, we're the descendants of Cain who reject God, who have hurt God, who have, who have done violence towards Christ again and again. And Jesus is defeating all of that, all the sin inside you and me as we hurt those around us. He's forgiving us way more than 70 times seven times. It's almost like you can hear the serpent declaring the same words that Lamech said, I have killed the Son of Man for wounding me. But then Jesus rises again three days later, crushing the serpent, defeating evil, defeating Satan. And giving you and me hope. And now Jesus offers something to you and me. He offers us to join the family. Come and join the family of Seth. Join the family of Eve. Those that have their great-grandparents spiritually as the serpent and, and the cane, they can change families. You can become a part of the family of Eve, a part of the family of God, a part of the family of Seth, just through having faith in Christ Jesus. Galatians chapter 3 verse 26 says this, it says, so in Christ Jesus you are all children of God through faith. This means that I am no longer a child of the devil, I am no longer a child of the serpent, of Satan, that through faith in Christ my whole family, my whole reality, my, my whole world changes. And then I can begin to live like an Enoch. Then I can begin to follow after Jesus with my words, with my actions, trusting in God in everyday circumstances. If you try to do that before you put your faith in Christ, it just won't work. You need Christ to change you so that you can live a changed life. We join the family of God through faith in the Son of God. My old mentor, I'm just going to close with this story. He was a man named David Midwood, and he reminded me a bit of, uh, of what it means to be an Enoch. David Midwood, he, he was my mentor for about a year, and he really walked with God. Uh, he would go to bed at about 8.30 every night, 8 to 8.30, and get up at about 4.30 to 5 a.m. so that he could just sit with God for an hour and journal and meditate on God, read the scriptures, and get to know God. One of the things he did was just receive God's love, receive God's grace. Admit, he's not any better than anyone else. He's broken, but he called on the name of the Lord, and he put his faith in God. And he actually died of cancer. Uh, He didn't get to skip out on death like Enoch, but he walked with Christ to the very end. And he knew God. He was a part of the family of God, and he knew it through faith in the Son of God. And you and I can have that too. No matter what we go through, the good times, the bad, we can know that we're part of the family of God if we know Jesus. Jesus saves us from all of our sin and he brings us home. We join the family of God through faith in the Son of God. Let me pray. Dear Jesus, thank you for what you have done for us, that you're the kind of the final descendant of Eve, and yet you're not, because you invite people like me, and anyone that will put your faith in you into your father's family. Lord, I pray for those that don't yet know you that you would welcome them home through faith in your son Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.